It's the first week of class for Portland public school students, and many others around the state return in a matter of days. But the Delta variant of COVID-19 is spreading, and most students are still unvaccinated. It's an exciting and nerve-wracking time. What do we make of it all? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, reporters Edder Campazano and Amy Green talk about how school districts are preparing for yet another abnormal school year. We talked about what school and activities will look like, why lunch is still a critical time, and stuff like MERV 13 furnace filters and all kinds of nitty-gritty details. Here's our conversation. Edder Campazano, Amy Green, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. So, Edder, let's start with you. We are on the eve of a back to school. By the time people listen to this, kids will be back to school in, in some districts. We've got mask mandates, vaccine mandates for teachers and staff. What's the overall mood you're gathering from teachers, students, and parents uh, in the Portland area? In the conversations that I've had in the sort of social media channels that I've crept on, there's basically, you could you could pretty much cleave it in half, right? There's a large contingent of parents and students that are just stoked. They're excited. They're ready to be back in the buildings, ready to have that peer-to-peer interaction, even if they have to be masked. And, you know, there's a subgroup within there that hates the fact that they have to go back masked. There's another, you know, large contingent of folks who are concerned about, you know, the health measures. Is my district going to be doing the right thing? What are the health and safety protocols that, you know, we've Mm -hmm. written countless kind of FAQs on? Well, what does happen if um, a student or a teacher or somebody decides to go into a school unmasked and is just like relentless in the desire to not wear a mask in class? Um, so, you know, that that's basically the two sides of the coin that I'm seeing. But overall, for the last year, you have heard lawmakers, parents, educators, everyone across the board saying that distance learning did not cut it. Having kids in the classroom is, you know, the absolute best thing for students. And so everybody's really working toward that goal and everybody's kind of got that in mind. Um, and that's kind of the commonality that both of these groups share, regardless of whether you're really, really excited to just be back or whether you have reservations about whether or not you want to be in the classroom right now. And I mean, uh, Oregon schools are starting later than schools in other states, and we're all kind of watching as Delta variant spreads here locally and around the country. I mean, what have we learned, if anything, at this point about masking versus not masking in schools? And how has Delta changed the game overall? Well, um, I've heard from a lot of experts, although there is some discussion about how much masks help, but that masks definitely do help in schools. Um, and uh, the governor uh, has a mask mandate for the whole state, including schools. And so I think that is kind of off the table. The discussion's done here for now in Oregon, and that is going to happen. There are many experts who think that's going to make a difference, especially in the age of Delta, because we know that there's a thousand times more virus in the noses and throats of people 
um, with Delta, and Delta makes up almost 100% of the cases in Oregon Mm -hmm. and the nation. And we know that kids are getting sick too. There's still a lot of study into, is the sickness more severe? But the numbers are way up in Oregon, and they're way up in the age groups of zero to 17. Um, For the last three weeks, Oregon has broken records in the number of children um, with COVID-19. Um, numbers are coming out as we speak from the Oregon Health Authority. I suspect that there are going to be even more kids who were sickened with COVID-19 this past week. So, Edder, you've written specifically about PPS and what Portland students are, are going to have to do in terms of like just nuts and bolts stuff like eating lunch. Um, what Beyond just eating outside for six weeks, what other safety measures are they taking here locally in, in Portland? And uh, what can you tell us about what the district's doing to, to keep kids uh, as safe as they can? For sure. So at the outset of hybrid learning, you know, in April, the district said that it had procured, you know, HEPA filters for every single one of its classrooms to, um, you know, increase the, the air exchanges in its, in, in its learning environments. And, you know, getting the actual numbers from PPS is pretty rough compared to our neighbors in Beaverton and Hillsborough, who are very, very open with those numbers. But in addition to the HEPA filters, you know, they're opening doors into courtyards and opening windows wherever possible. Now, some classrooms, you cannot open windows. Um, right. And so that's where the HEPA filters and all these other mitigation measures come in. Um, you know, the Oregon Department of Education's latest guidelines say that no matter what, again, the absolute most important thing is that you offer five full days of in-person instruction for students and that you distance three feet whenever possible. That is the standard that PPS has adopted. Now, the teachers union is working to really solidify language in some kind of working agreement to say, not whenever possible, three feet, period, like no ifs, ands, or buts. And as of Tuesday, um, the deputy superintendent of instruction, Sean Bird, told the school board that something on the order of 3% of middle and high school classrooms cannot meet that. And so they haven't discussed what they're going to do to mitigate that. Um, and the, the two buildings that came up in that conversation specifically were Franklin High School and Grant High School, which are wildly over capacity in terms of their enrollment. There's a silver lining here. Again, it's that 3% of the classrooms in those buildings, um, yeah. middle and high schools, cannot accommodate. And the other 97, 97% of learning environments can. And so that's... In addition to the masking, in addition to the cleaning and the other mitigation measures that schools had in place last year, right? Like screening before students go in, um, having mm-hmm. these quarantine rooms for students exhibiting symptoms to be isolated and then tested and, you know, sent home until they're feeling better or no longer showing symptoms. Those are the sorts of things that you can expect when when kids go back to school and the way that things will look a little bit more normal than they did last year, obviously, but still not quite, you know, we don't know anything about this coronavirus. Let's just all go in maskless and, you know, huddled in the hallways and classrooms. More innocent times feels like uh, (laughs) ages ago. So, I mean, you're a parent of, you know, school age kids. Uh, What would you look for in terms of, um, 
you know, mitigation measures or just uh, some of the things that Edder just mentioned? What should parents have keep in mind, I guess, uh, if they have kids? Yeah, um, I would look for my district to be really transparent and detailed and specific about the measures that they're taking. I'm finding that um, there isn't the information out there that I would want to see um, that there's a lot of question marks. What are they exactly doing? Um, I think we have to remember that Delta is way different than previous strains of the virus. And so what we know from the spring doesn't necessarily predict what's going to happen this fall. But we do know there are certain procedures that will make it safer. Um, I think the biggest one, besides being vaccinated, if you're old enough to get vaccinated, half the school-aged K-12 through kids aren't old enough yet. But um, right. the biggest, the next biggest thing that can be done is ventilation, great ventilation. Um, there's experts that are rec- recommending five or six air changes per an hour. Um, I would hope that my district is... Um, open with that information and knows that information. Beaverton and Hillsborough have both said they either have five or six air changes per an hour per a classroom. I haven't been able to get that information out of Portland public schools yet as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. And then some of the other districts um, around the Portland area, if you just look at the information they've given parents, it doesn't give you that critical piece of information. It's also great to have portable portable HEPA air filtration devices in classrooms. Those can really increase the air changes per an hour. Um, and to know if your school has installed MERV 13 filters, air filters in their HVAC systems, those actually can filter out the virus. Um, also, this is yeah, go ahead. sadly, sadly something I, I we all probably know a lot more about than we did even uh, not just due to COVID, but due to the wildfires, right? Uh, the, the importance of having a high quality filter like that in your furnace. I had learned what a MERV 13 filter was last fall because yeah. I made sure I ran out and got some when the file, wildfire smoke um, descended on Portland. Yeah. I was also, can yeah. I just mention a couple other things? I mean, the list is long yeah, and ahead. it's very detailed, but I think it's really important because it can make a huge difference in how safe your school is. Um, mask, like all schools um, require mask um, by the governor's orders, um, but you want to make sure that you have a tight fitting and a quality mask. And I know that some kids um, have difficulty wearing like maybe a KN95 or a KF94, but um, if they can tolerate it, great. If they can't double mask, make sure that it fits because Delta is so contagious that it um, can just go, you know, swoop in through the edges of the mask if it's not tight against your skin. Um, Also, testing is very important. And I've been trying to get this answer, real specifics from districts about who are you testing and how often are you testing them? Um, The state of Oregon is willing to pay for um, tests, weekly testing of asymptomatic unvaccinated students and staff in schools. And what I would want my district to do, ideally, is to test all those um, students um, to 
kind of as a surveillance way, because if someone's infected, we could get them out of school and prevent outbreaks from happening. The last thing I would say is lunch. Lunch is a big thing. There's been a lot of discussion about it. I'm told by experts that it is the most dangerous time of the school day because you'll spend hours in a classroom. Everyone's masked up. The air changes are happening. Uh, maybe the windows are open. But as soon as you go to lunch, and let's say you just spend 10 minutes in that cafeteria with your mask off, that room can really fill up with virus. And we are getting more and more examples as time goes on that it doesn't take 15 minutes to get infected. It could take a minute. There are cases in Australia, I've mentioned before, that um, it was fleeting contact. It was someone walking by another person. And so eating outdoors is a really good idea. One big question for Portland is how often is that going to happen? It's going to start raining um, September, yeah. October. And are the kids really going to be wanting to be eating outside? We pride ourselves here in Portland in, in being, uh, you know, impervious to the elements at her. But when push comes to shove and you're talking about a lot of, uh, you know, kids getting soaked, that's a different, <laughs> that's a different type of problem. Yeah. Edder, you keep tabs on things across the state when it comes to uh, education and, you know, other reporters and other communities. Uh, How is this all playing out? Like uh, all the rules that we've talked about from the state level and just the the act of going back to school? Are people uh, feeling the same way in different parts of the state or differently? What are you hearing? The districts that were chomping at the bit, like the absolute most to get back into the classroom, even this time last year. Um, are, as you can imagine, the ones that were the most upset when Governor Brown issued her August 29th um, you know, order to say, all right, when we go back to school, we've all got to be masked. And mm-hmm. the, the main sort of source of contention there, as you've, you know, our colleagues have covered this also, you know, time and again with local governments who say, well, these should be local decisions. We thought that you were going to give us the power to decide. Um, And, you know, as some of our other reporting has shown, you know, when you try to make these very local decisions in terms of, say, you're a Douglas County district that really, really wanted to open its high school only to have the first day of school interrupted because somebody came down with COVID. Well, those hotspots right now in Southern Oregon are where you're seeing an explosion of cases, patients getting sent to Portland hospitals. So those local decisions have, you know, huge regional statewide impacts. But those are also the same districts that are saying, well, we should be able to make the choice on our own whether or not we want to mask our kids when we go back into the classroom. And so you're seeing some folks who are almost openly revolting, right? There's a district in Eastern Oregon that is basically saying, um, we're, we're looking to, we're looking to defy the order. There's a superintendent, right, of a charter school. Um, in rural Benton County saying, hey, I'm hearing from a lot of parents that they don't want to wear, they don't want their kids wearing masks. So here you go. You can apply for a, uh, you know, a special ed exemption. You could, you can, you know, (laughs) maybe qualify for like a medical exemption, which the governor came out very strongly against and said, well, no, you know, that requires a very rigorous vetting and you're basically going to be wasting a state worker's time by having them come out to assess your bogus claim just because you don't want your kid masked. So, you know, that's kind of a larger conversation happening. Portland Public Schools was a little bit ahead of the the curve where just a day 
before the governor um, issued her statewide mandate, the district was already considering, they were already having their summer programs mask up and were on the brink of announcing a mask mandate for the coming school year. And of course, Portland is also the only district so far that has mandated that all of its educators be vaccinated before the start of the school year. Everybody else has until September 18th or October 18th. Now that uh, FDA approval for the Pfizer vaccine has come up. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, projected to be after we hit the peak of the Delta variant, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more with Edder Camposano and Amy Green. So, Edder, some districts have already pushed back the start of school, as you just mentioned. Um, is it possible everyone will end up online again this year? So, Kate Brown and, uh, you know, at least in Portland, Superintendent Guadalupe Guerrero have said no. Like, the state is not going to go into a full-on distance learning lockdown like we saw at the, at the uh, you know, beginning of the pandemic. And... The only thing that Department of Education officials and the governor have said is that maybe, and it's like a big maybe that they always bring out with the caveat that like all options are on the table are like the Mm -hmm. words that I've heard the most from these officials is that maybe in places where there is super, super high transmission and regional health departments believe that they're, you know, that that transmission might make its way into schools that individual school buildings will work with the Department of Health to say, okay, we're going to go into distance learning for X amount of time and then come out of it once rates go down. Um, the Portland School Board had actually, you know, passed a resolution in May saying, no, the priority is five days in person. And so yeah. the district stood up on an online learning academy with about 500 slots um, and so if you want in, you have to sign up and there's a wait list for it now. But uh, from everything that I'm gathering and the people that I'm talking to, you know, a, a statewide, even district wide, let's go back into distance learning is not really on the table as far as what people are telling me. So, Aimee, what what do we know about extracurricular activities like sports? Um, what are those going to look like? Do, do we know? And do we know whether it's safe given the contagious nature of Delta variant to, you know, have basketball practices or things of that nature, volleyball? Yeah. I mean, that's the big question. Um, sports and school, what, what's it going to be like? What's going to happen? What is the spread going to be? Cause like I say, this is uncharted territory with Delta. Um, I know that OSAA has set forth certain rules about mask wearing, um, in general, um, indoors and out masks don't need to be worn by athletes who are actively working out or competing, like people who are spectating or athletes who are sitting on the bench in a gym. They do need to be wearing masks. Um, my concern comes, um, with looking at the CDC recommendations that say in areas of high transmission, um, which is the highest category of viral spread that the CDC has. And that's 35 of the 36 counties in Oregon right now. The CDC is saying um, that high risk activities, sports, extracurricular activities like football, wrestling, singing, playing wind instruments should not happen. And looking around Portland at the school districts, um, I'm seeing 
so far in my survey have encountered no districts who are saying they're not going to allow singing or football or band. Some of them say they're still working on it, um, but that is a little startling to see that um, difference between what the CDC is recommending and what we're planning to do. I mean, those are just inextricably linked to the school experience, right? Everything you just mentioned, that's, you know, it's not just the sitting at a desk or reading or doing homework. It's all those other things. That's like part of being a kid, part of being a student. Makes it tough, I think, particularly for teenagers, not if they're not going to have that experience, those sporting or singing or musical experiences. Edder, you talked about some of the safety measures at at PPS and the cleaning and whatnot, things we know about, but like just the practical stuff like walking down the hallway. I mean, is it going to be kind of a free-for-all, you know, just like a normal when the bell rings, you go to your next classroom? Um, is how, how does that whole situation work? When hybrid learning started, the ODE guidelines were that you've got to um, cordon off hallways, right? So that you put tape down the middle, one-way interchanges so that people aren't really mingling and kind of like hanging out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent possible, yeah, educators are going to make sure that kids aren't milling around and just kind of like um, hanging out between periods. But the the tough thing about the fall right now versus the spring is that, you know, you're not going to have this cohorting, right? You're not going to be breaking up students into group A, group B, group A goes in the morning, group B goes in the afternoon, or group A goes Monday, Tuesday, group B goes Thursday, Friday. So you're going to have to account for every single student likely returning to the classroom and just doing your best to make sure everybody's wearing their masks, washing their hands, right? Um, And just being responsible. So that's, that. you know, that's, that's the big challenge. And when you've got that level of movement in the school, you know, again, you know, Grant and Franklin high schools are over-enrolled. They've got more students than they anticipated having. So that's kind of telling you that it's uh, <sighs> just going to be a lot of bodies moving around. Um, and so you'd hope that, you know, just like um, you'd expect for adults that everybody's vaccinated who can be, that everybody's wearing their masks, double masked if, if they can. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the thing that you want to look for. And, you know, if you're if you're a parent of a teenager, really driving that message home of, you know, these are the things that you absolutely want to do to make sure that you don't catch this more highly contagious variant. So what what happens like, you know, if a teacher or multiple teachers are sick or they have kids, um, you know, who are preschool or daycare age kids they have an outbreak and they're out for an extended period of time or i mean what is this just leaning on subs or you know how how is this going to work when when there are inevitable breakthrough cases because we are seeing that despite you know people being vaccinated you can still get covid the department of education has laid out um you know pretty extensive i guess uh quarantine and sort of exclusion guidelines and so when you show symptoms, right? So say a student shows up and they're exhibiting symptoms or to an educator or somebody else uh, seem like they, they, they might be showing signs of COVID, there's these isolation mm-hmm. rooms, right? Where they go in, they get a rapid test. And in a lot of cases, they'll probably call a parent to come and pick the kid up. Now, 
before vaccines were widely available um, and back in the spring when things were a little bit different, you know, the standard procedure was that if there was a case that came up in a classroom, right? So a kid had gotten into the classroom, everybody would have to quarantine. Um, and that led to some disruptions in Eugene in particular, right? Um, the register guard was reporting in April or May that unvaccinated teachers were leading to uh, entire quarantines down in Lane County, um, which fortunately is not a thing that happened happened in the Portland area. Um, but, you know, now if everybody's masked, and I may correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if everybody's masked and you've got a suspected case, um, you don't, you don't quarantine anymore. Yeah, that's right. The entire cohort. Yeah. The rule in Oregon um, is if um, you were within three feet of the infected person, um, you do need to quarantine even if you were wearing a mask. Um, If you're more than three feet away and you weren't wearing a mask, you don't need to quarantine. Um, My concern however, is that if you're um, in a room and the virus is indeed aerosolized like we know it is, um, is the room filled up with it? And even if you were six or 10 or 12 feet away, were you breathing it in? Um, That's where I think testing comes in. I really hope to see screening testing. Like if someone in the classroom um, comes down with COVID, um, why not just test the whole class? Uh, It seems like the funding is there. Edder, what do we know at this point about enrollment in online school in districts that are offering that? Do we do we have figures? Do we or do we have any sense whatsoever of how many folks are just saying, no, I'm going to keep keep them home as a precaution? Right. So the only thing that um, I really have to go on at this point is PPS offered up um, a, not a forecast, but enrollment numbers as they stand right now. And while we're recording this, it's a week before classes begin. And what the district is seeing is yet another precipitous drop in its kindergarten enrollment, about 14% from last year. If you combine that with the drop of uh, about 17% from the year prior, from fall of 2019 through fall of 2021, PPS has 25% fewer kindergartners now. Um, and so the the thing the, I mean the tough thing about that is that the district hasn't really mounted kind of like a full scale survey or really tried to really eke out where all of those children are going now in Oregon mm-hmm. kindergarten enrollment isn't compulsory so you can skip kindergarten and come right in in first grade that you know there'll certainly be a contingent of parents who say you know I don't either feel quite safe enough sending my kid to school now and I'll wait a year and just deal with that. Or, you know, I don't want my kid going in and wearing a mask for his or her entire kindergarten year. So I'll wait a year for that. There's certainly going to be an element of folks pulling their kids out and going with private schools, right? Um, There could also be people who decide to bring them back in homeschool. So, you know, those are the four kind of major contingencies, but Kindergarten enrollment overall at the state level also went down last year, and the Department of Education also kind of had those same ideas of of where those kids might be going. So PPS, at least, you know, middle school enrollment has more or less remained steady. High school enrollment is a little bit higher this year than it was last year, and that 
largely is owing, obviously, to the fact that, uh, you know, enrollment hit a peak a few years ago, uh, kind of in the middle of the decade. And that that is kind of just transferring on up. Yeah, as a parent of a four-year-old who's, you know, got another year before kindergarten, I, I have to say I'm pretty thankful <laughs> that I'm not um, having to make those tough calls that I know lots of parents are making right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I have a, a nephew who is five and is like, he is beyond ecstatic that he gets to go to school. The trade-off is that he hates wearing his mask. And so what my sister has taken to using as like, you know, like the, the, the carrot is saying like, well, you know, if, if you're, if you're good and you wear your mask, you get to play with the other kids, you get to go to school and, you know, you have that experience. And so at least for one kid, I know that that, that right there is the trade-off that's working. I mean, what else is on your mind or um, that parents should just be thinking about as we talk about all this? I think that um, parents just set the tone for children um, to be positive about things, um, positive about wearing masks. I think kids pick up on the nervousness of parents. Um, You can do your best as a parent and, um, you know, it'll rub off on the kid that that anxiousness won't pass on that you're protecting them um, based on what you know and what you learn. And again, that's why it's so important to um, learn as much as you can, ask your district questions, watch the board meetings, um, read parent communications, and see if you feel comfortable. Or if you don't, um, talk to your districts about how to make it better. Um, I just, you know, one other piece of advice that stuck in my mind in listening to experts talk about school reopenings is, you know, I really do believe in masks when they're worn well. Uh, I think part of the problem with masks is when they're not worn well, or they're not quality masks, that's when the virus um, has a much easier time spreading. Uh, one piece of advice I heard from an expert is when you're in school, inside, don't take off your mask. Like the bathroom is the worst place to take off your mask. You go in there, nobody's in there. You might feel like, ah, good. There may not be uh, a portable HEPA filter in there. Um, there may have been other people in there right before you that were infected. Portland's rules say that uh, masks don't need to be worn if you're the only person in a room, like the teachers in the classroom alone. Well, if your your class has been in there all day or it's a break time, you take off your mask, you're in there alone, you're just breathing in the virus that had just been exhaled into the air. So um, that's an important tip I offer. And there's going to be a lot of uh, first day photos with, you know, special masks, right? That people can order online and the higher quality ones, maybe some cool designs, uh, a different, (laughs) a different spin on the first day of of school pick, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, uh, to piggyback off of Jaime's point, I have spoken to dozens of teenagers over the last year. And I'll tell you that in particular, in the run up to hybrid learning and, you know, in the like immediate aftermath, I didn't talk to a single kid who saw a mask as this like, you know, burden on their person, you know, like they were just excited to be back in school. And the mask was a nuisance, but they understood like, it's going to keep me safe. So I think um, kids don't get as much credit as they deserve for being adaptable to stuff like this, especially when they know that it is for the greater good. Um, and it really, like I may said, just boils down to attitude. Um, and for what it's worth, again, I did not speak to a single teenager who was like, I refuse to wear a mask and that's why I'm not going back to school. 
Yeah, kids can be obstinate, but um, <laughs> a lot less obstinate than adults on, on this topic. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that is definitely fair to say. Well, I guess uh, thank you both for such a comprehensive overlook at the back to school discussion and uh, for taking time to talk about it. Thanks, Andrew, for covering it. Yeah, for sure. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Edder and Imee's recent stories on COVID and schools in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. Or tell a friend. Help spread the word. Speaking of spreading the word, the Oregonian and Oregon Live's annual holiday fundraising campaign is just around the corner. We've been doing Season of Sharing for decades. We've talked about it on this show before as well. Nonprofit organizations that provide social and human services in Oregon and Southwest Washington have until 5 p.m. September 8th to apply for this year's campaign. We are especially interested this year in helping support work that funds the arts, wildlife recovery, housing or food insecurity, gun violence, or the needs of LGBTQ youth. I'll drop a link to the application in the episode notes. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.